This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. I'm very excited about today's episode as we are going to talk about accelerometry and activity tracking. Our guest, expert in the theme, is working as an assistant professor of integrative physiology and health science at Alma College in Michigan, US. He studies the accuracy and reliability of various physical activity monitors and also uses them as intervention tools to help individuals become more physically active. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm honored to introduce our guest, Assistant Professor Alexander Montoy. Welcome, Alex. Thank you, Ali. It's great to be on the podcast. You have also worked with the consumer activity trackers and on their validity. Could you yes. tell more about your studies on these? Sure. And really, that was you know not a not something I necessarily intended to do with that when I started working with these with these devices. I I got into the the research grade accelerometers, your you know your actigraphs and such around 2010. And that was a couple of years before the consumer-based monitors really took off. I think Fitbit's big year in terms of seeing increased popularity was like 2013, 2014. And so the, the consumer-based monitors are, are really, that was an it's exciting area of research because unlike the work with the research-grade devices where really it's, I'm doing research, I'm, or I'm studying these to give recommendations to other researchers for how to employ these in their surveillance or intervention studies. And so the, the results from that type of research are applicable to a relatively small group. The consumer monitors have had wide interest outside in the research world, but also outside of that as well. So to your general person, right? So I could talk to my neighbor about the work we're doing with Fitbits or with Apple Watches, and they would understand and they would be interested and excited about what the outcomes meant. And so that was a that was an it's an exciting area of research because of its direct applicability to people outside of the research world. Um, in terms of you know how you do the research, really it's fairly simple in terms of the the validity type research because those those devices all have, I mean, they already have their ways of predicting the physical activity outcomes of interest. So they will predict steps, they will predict calories, they'll predict the distance that you travel. Some of them can recognize or purport to recognize what types of activities you're doing. So it'll, it'll you know, categorize walking versus running versus weightlifting based on the unique patterns. And so really all you have to do is set up a study where you're doing those movements and then you're, maybe you're counting steps or you're measuring heart rate with an EKG or a chest-based heart rate monitor, and then you compare what you consider your true outcomes to what the, uh, the, the consumer-based monitors will report, right? So in terms of a study development, they're very, very straightforward studies to do. And I think because of that, there were, there were, and because of the potential interest in the findings, there was an explosion in that type of work that I, 
my impression is it's died down now. There's not as much of it, but for, you know, a three or four year span, that was, those were really, really popular types of studies. And we learned a lot about, about how those devices work or don't work. I think we identified some of the pitfalls with, with the consumer-based monitors as well. So I, I really in, uh, enjoyed working in that area. And I really enjoy the fact that your general person on the street is much more likely to have some sense on how they could measure their behaviors if they thought that they were in need of improvement. So they could just go and buy an Apple Watch or a Fitbit or whatever other brand in their store or on Amazon, put it on, learn about what their activity is compared to what they should be doing, and then hopefully have some information to be able to to make positive changes for their health. So I think overall the consumer monitors have been have been really good. Um, in a research, do you, I guess, do you want to talk about them in a like a research setting? What we think the the advantages or disadvantages of those are in a research setting? Yeah, I- interesting to hear also that uh, from from your perspective. Yeah. Okay. Sure. So I know, again, kind of going back to this, I've worked with a lot of machine learning models. It's been tough to, to see how low the adoption is on those. And I certainly understand why people aren't employing those for measurement. What's a little bit concerning to me on the flip side of that is how many large-scale studies are starting to use consumer-based activity monitors because the outcomes are so easy. For the end user, those devices are very, very simple. You put the monitor on, it spits out the outcomes of interest, you record them and you move on, right? So if you're interested in measuring physical activity, consumer monitors are about as simple as they get because you don't really have to make any decisions about how you analyze the data or work with software packages that are less friendly to the general user. So there's a lot to like about consumer Mm -hmm. monitors from from that perspective in terms of their deployment. Um, one of the big disadvantages that I see with those, those methods is, so they are black box in that we, we have no idea how a step is computed with a Fitbit or a, an Apple Watch. We don't know how calories are derived. We can anticipate it's based on you know the movement of the device. If it has a heart rate monitor, that probably factors into how the calories are computed. It asks you to input demographic information such as are they male or female, what's their age, how much do they weigh. So that all would, you know, would, would somehow be accounted for in a calorie prediction. But we don't know how the importance or the contribution from each of those, those potential variables. Also, and this I know especially at the beginning of the consumer-based monitor research was a big issue, uh, these companies often change their algorithms for computing things like steps or calories. Like when you get a firmware update or a software update within those devices, it's very likely that they've actually changed how those metrics are computed. And so if you're looking at longitudinal data, so if you want to see if someone's getting more active over time, or if you want to compare a group from last year to a group from this year, and you use the same device, it's not necessarily the case that the algorithms are the same. And so if you see a change in activity, you don't know if it's a true change or if it's just a difference in the way that the, the algorithms were computing mm-hmm. the outcome metrics. And that was a huge issue for us uh, when we were using these devices back in, I think it was 2015, 2016. 
we were looking at what they, they called active minutes. It was uh, a variable that was supposed to correspond to moderate to vigorous intensity physical activity. And halfway through the study, we wouldn't have known other than this change was very, very obvious. The monitors went from characterizing any time in MVPA. So, you know, I could accumulate two minutes here and five minutes here, and then it would sum it up over the day. At some point, the company changed its algorithm so that it would only recognize bouts of MVPA because in the U.S. at least, our definition of moderate to vigorous in terms of meeting the guidelines up until uh, at least the 2008 guidelines was that activity bouts mm -hmm. had to happen in, in minimum of 10 minutes at a time. And so mm -hmm. the consumer monitors changed that calculation. And so in our study, we went from seeing people that were getting 45 minutes a day or 50 minutes a day of MVPA to zero minutes because those that metric was it fundamentally changed what was counting as active minutes. And so we lost that part of our study actually because they changed that variable so, so substantially. So we couldn't look at change over time or comparison of these groups. And that was a big loss for us in that analysis we were doing. And so I don't, I don't think that the consumer companies are doing it as much. I think the models that they're using are much more refined now, probably. And so the changes they make are, are likely to be more minor now mm. than they used to be, but there's still that risk. And certainly when new devices come out, it's not the case that they use the same algorithms. So if Fitbit comes out with a new, you know, they're, they had the Inspire and then whatever the next thing is, or the Fitbit Charge version three versus four, you can't necessarily use different versions of that monitor and expect the data to be comparable. So hmm. there are a lot of challenges that way with the consumer-based monitors in that we don't know the data comparability over time and we don't have any control over how the data our outputs are um, managed because that all goes back to the company versus with a research-grade device, we know it, we have all the decision-making power in you know, which cut points do we use? What's our non-wear time criteria? Which sleep algorithm do we use? Those types of things. And so it, as a researcher, it can give you greater confidence that not necessarily that your data are more accurate, but at least they're more comparable over time. Mm, yeah. So, so with all this in mind, would you recommend not using consumer activity trackers in, in research projects? I, unless, if you, I guess, I guess, so consumer monitors is, is a, you know, it's, it's a general term. I use it generally to refer to things like Fitbit or Apple watch. I know there are some devices that kind of straddle the, uh, the consumer versus research fields. I know, mm -hmm. so I, I know your monitor Fibian, at least it seems like it has a lot of the appeals of the consumer type monitor and that it has it, it it will give you the outcomes of interest without you having to decide what you know inputs from the accelerometer data go into it i would feel more comfortable with a monitor like that because i would guess that fibian as a company would be more transparent about when updates are happening like actigraph does it's very clear when they do firmware updates and then you can go in and read about the update and whether it's likely to have changed anything about how the data are processed. Is there a change in the algorithm? You know, those types of things. And so I think if you had a company that you could feel confident that either one, you know, when the updates are happening. So it's not just, you know, oh, one day it happens to change. 
or that when they happen, you can get some sense on if it's likely to affect your outcomes or which outcomes or not. I think there, there, there certainly is a lot to like about consumer monitors, the ease of use. If you're trying to use them for behavior change, so you set goals, you want them to compete against individuals, I think there's some evidence that at least in the short term, that can increase engagement in physical activity. So there, there are certainly times where I think they have value. For me, as someone who, who assists with a lot of surveillance or intervention type work measuring physical activity, they pose, for me, at least as many challenges in terms of confidence with the data as they as the benefits um, that, that that might offset. So personally, I would prefer something like an actigraph monitor where we have total control over the data, even though it's not as easy to work with. Um, but I, again, for a lot of individuals uh, or a lot of researchers, if you can find a consumer-based device where you can have confidence that the outcomes aren't changing, you can probably do well enough uh, if for your physical activity outcome. Hmm. So basically, if you if you have a behavior change program where the you it's not so important are the results exactly accurate, but it's more about giving feedback. And do do you see that then the consumer activity trackers would be would be good? I think so. Yeah, I think there there certainly is value to that because the uh, that's another difference. Most of the research grade devices. Uh, you would not get immediate feedback to the participant. Like, and if we're doing surveillance work, if we want to understand be- normal behavioral patterns, you actually don't want them to get feedback because it might change their behavior. So you're no longer observing normal. So uh, with the consumer monitors, if you want participants to get feedback, those monitors are much better equipped to do that than most of the research grade devices are. Now, I know the new Actigraph has a screen that you can turn on and it will show steps. So there are some improvements on the research grade side. Uh, but yeah, the, the consumer monitors, especially with the popularity and the familiarity with them, I think individuals are a lot more willing to wear them now uh, than they might be with a, with a research grade device. They're a lot more visually uh, appealing, right? They're, they have a better fashion than like a, than mm-hmm. a, an Actigraph might. And so... You're going to get better wear with those. Their applications, if if you're syncing them with a mobile phone, those are going to contain uh, or be much more user friendly as well. So yeah, I think if if your goal is to promote for the participant behavior change or you know tracking of their own behavior, competitions, those types of things, yeah, you're certainly those have a lot of advantages and may be attractive options for researchers. They're also generally cheaper, the consumer monitors mm-hmm. are, than the research-grade devices. So from a cost perspective, they they save something also. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting what you mentioned, that in a way, when you are doing the measurement, you don't want the participant to know the results that you are actually measuring the actual behavior. But in the same project, you might want them afterwards to change and get the feedback so it's kind of you first you don't want them to get feedback and then you would actually like them to get as good feedback as possible to support the behavior change right exactly exactly and in the you know in the the, before the consumer monitors came out i remember reading studies with your like your typical hip worn pedometers what they would do is if they wanted to measure your baseline physical activity levels they would have you put the pedometer on, but then they would seal it with a piece of tape 
they would put like electrical tape or something over it to close it. And if the tape was broken when they got the monitor back, then they would throw Mm. out the data because they thought that the participant probably looked at the numbers. If the tape wasn't broken, they were highly confident that the device hadn't been tampered with and they were maybe not getting true activity, but at least the participants weren't seeing the activity. So it's less likely to influence their behavior. And then, yeah, they could then open the monitor up, take the tape off, and then the intervention would be, you know, your goal is to get 10,000 steps a day. Use this pedometer as a tracking tool to help you understand where your step count is compared to where it should be. And then that's part of the behavior change and and self-monitoring technique. Mm. Yep. Mm. Yeah, yeah. That's that's very, very interesting and kind of complicated how to <laughs> how to yeah. do it with the different devices. Yeah, it, it really comes down to is your goal to change behavior with the device? If it is, you want to give them feedback and what that means, you know, what the data means. If you don't, if you're using it as a surveillance tool, which when we look at like large national surveillance efforts like the UK Biobank or NHANES here in the United States, those you would not want to give feedback to because you're interested in what the participant's doing, not if you can change their behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So it's very different goals. And as long as you're, you understand for your study what the goal is, that can help guide your decision about how or if you give feedback. Hmm. Yeah, very interesting points. This podcast is sponsored by Fibian. Fibian is an accurate sitting and physical activity tracking device and analysis platform. It is a great tool for projects that aim for behavior change in sedentary behavior and incidental physical activity. Fibian provides easy-to-understand PDF and web browser reports for participants. Other features include comparisons to recommendations, linking results to health risks, achievement cards, and interactive goal-setting tool. In addition, Fibian provides an API that allows for easy integration to other systems and applications. Learn more about Fibian at fibian.com research. Fibian from researchers to researchers. We have discussed already quite a while, and and is there some other things you would like to bring up to this interesting discussions? Yeah, we ha- we have discussed quite a bit, and I think and I think we've covered a lot. Uh, one one thing I would say again, so it was a lot of the work I do at least within my own lab, is is collecting data to develop models to predict behavior. I get cons- I do a lot of consulting, though, as somebody who's really entrenched in the measurement field. And so I, I get a lot of requests to come on, kind of like a, a statistician, right? If you're doing an epidemiologic study and you're the researcher with expertise in the uh, behaviors or the disease you can mm-hmm. collect the data, you understand the population, but you need a statistician to come in and analyze your data in the highest quality way possible. I do a lot of that similarly, but on the on the measurement end. So, you know, I'll get asked, I'm currently uh, working with a group who's interested in looking at heart rate variability. So looking at cardiovascular function. And so I know very little physiologically about that, that realm. And certainly within the research context, I'm not well versed in it. But they need somebody that can help collect um, collect data or understand the best way to collect their data, and so uh, that's a, a lot of what I of what I do. Then is is consult 
in these um, in these realms. And so I guess I, what I'm trying to say, think, you know, uh, being very intentional about what you want to measure and how you can best do that, and thinking about that beforehand is going to be important um, with the research. Sometimes I think not being afraid to reach out to people who are in the measurement field to, to make sure that you're capturing what you think you're capturing or that you're aware of the whatever choice you make, there will be trade-offs, right? So if I decide I want to wear a, a hip-worn device or a wrist-worn device, what are the, what are the trade-offs on that? And it may depend on the population that you're, you're working with as well. Mm-hmm. Um, one, of the, one of the frequent issues, I guess I, I would say, that I see when non-measurement people are attempting to use, let's say, an actograph device, uh, they will collect data on the wrist and then they'll be using cut points developed on the hip or they'll be trying to, to measure sleep and they'll be using a wrist-worn device, or sorry, they'll have a hip-worn device and then they use a, a wrist-worn uh, sleep metric, right? And so those are very common issues because like within the, the Actograph software, let's say, though it's a point and click software. So you click on, you know, whichever analysis technique, but it doesn't necessarily give you the background on who it was developed in, what population or for what accelerometer placement. And so you have to be very intentional about choosing those methods. And the other, the, the related piece is that they're also population dependent. So, you know, children's movement patterns and behavior and the energy it takes to do certain movements is vastly different than it is for adults or for older adults or for healthy populations versus populations that have may have chronic disease or mobility limitations. And so when we're using these devices, all of those factors will affect the accuracy uh, with which we can measure the behaviors as well as maybe the preferred accelerometer placement sites and that type of thing. So I think it's important at the outset of this type of research to be very intentional about how you plan to use the monitor, who the population is, what the outcomes you are that you're interested in, and then making sure either on your own or consulting with individuals in the field that you are using the methods that will best allow you to address those questions. Mm. So if some of the listeners are interesting of you consulting them, how, how can people reach and contact you? Sure. Uh, well, I'd be happy to, to share my, uh, my email address. That, that's, a, that's a great first way. So it's just last name. So M-O-N-T-O-Y-E-A-H at elma.edu. I don't know, Ali, if you have a, you can put that in the description for the podcast if, if you want. Um, yeah. Okay. But yeah, I, I would be happy to, to either work with people formally or just offer advice on, on measurement. I realize it's not everybody's uh, area of interest, right? I, I know people often are much more focused on their, on, on their outcomes or the, the population. For me, making sure that we measure these things as well as possible within whatever context we're in is that's what I get excited about. And so being able to be on these other projects is um, it's, it's a lot of fun for me. I think I can add value in order uh, to, to help people best address whatever their outcomes are that they are. And I think, you know, we're, we're in a climate where it takes collaboration now because projects are so complex a lot of the research that we do that you can't possibly be an expert in all 
aspects. And so, uh, you know, pulling researchers in who have special skill sets can really em- enhance the quality of the projects that we're working on. And so I, um, yeah, I value that a lot in terms of the, the, the research that we do and the, the, the projects I've been able to, to be involved in. Hmm. Yeah, we almost covered it, but can you still explicitly say what would what kind of collaborations you are looking? What are, are the best kind of collaborations for you? Oh, sure. So, yeah. So, um, you know, for anyone who's interested in device-based measurement of primarily physical activity, but also sedentary behavior or sleep within their research question, that may be a primary outcome variable. Or it may be a secondary variable. It may be something that you're trying to to just be able to control for in your research question. Those are the types of projects I I often get involved in. So, for example, um, I've done quite a bit of work uh, with pregnancy. So, looking at you know the the researchers I've worked with are are interested in pregnancy outcomes. So, what's the birth weight of the child? What's the gestational weight gain of the mother? Um, what's the you know what's the complication rate? Uh, during delivery for the mother or the baby, those types of things. So those are their primary outcomes. They're interested in looking at does the mother's behavior during pregnancy affect any of those outcomes, right? So how physically active she is, the amount of decline in physical activity as, as pregnancy progresses, the amount of sedentary behavior, the sleep quality, whatever that is, because that's an important uh, independent variable for this group that is, you know, they'll bring me in and I'll help them best measure those constructs and understand how the measurement might need to change across pregnancy. For example, because there's so much um, increase in abdominal mass, a hip-worn device doesn't work very well, uh, whereas a wrist-mounted device or an ankle-worn device is much more effective in that population. So I, again, I don't know physiologically as much about the pregnant women, but I do understand how measurement what we need to focus on for measurement in that population <clears throat> so that they can assess the outcome variables. So that's kind of where I fit in on a lot of these projects is if you want to measure the physical behaviors, again, either as a primary or a secondary measure, I can help with that specific part so that you can best address whatever the, the, the outcomes are for your research. Mm, yeah, that's that's great. So any listeners contact Alex via email if you're interested in collaboration. He he has the top-notch knowledge how to analyze the data. So I think it will be great collaboration. Uh, it was a pleasure to have you in the show, Alex. Uh, it was it was brilliant and interesting points from many aspects aspects and and in many different contexts. So I really appreciate you taking the time for this podcast. What what would be your final remarks for this episode? Uh, well, Ali, I really appreciate the opportunity. This it's fun to get to talk about uh, talk about what we do and and to, you know to try to get excited about it. I guess I would just wish our our, our listeners best of luck with their research and, and uh, good health through this crazy time that we are that we're living through. And and yeah, once again, if if you think if physical activity assessment broadly is something that you incorporate into your research, um, please you know please let contact me or if you know other or subject matter experts 
we want to make sure that you're doing that the best that you can so that your projects can be of the highest quality. And there are some, I think, pretty straightforward ways that we can do that across a variety of populations or research questions. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes. So be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.